springs in bloom, and so are the new lavender drinks at Starbucks. Enjoy subtle sweet notes of lavender paired with silky matcha or rich espresso for a fresh floral take on classic cafe beverages. Order yours now in the Starbucks app. Hey everybody, Holden here, and today I want to talk to you about the Jason Signs Benefit Extravaganza. This is three cities, three different shows for one great guy. Jason is literally the nicest person I have ever met in the comedy community, and it's so tragic what happened to him. He had a horrible accident late last year and broke his back, and the medical bills have been ridiculous, and we're all, as comedians, trying to come together and raise money for this great, great person. So we've got uh, a show in LA and NYC, Monday, April 1st, that's April Fool's Day, and then the DC show is... Wednesday, April 3rd, and admission and drink sales, they all go to Jason's Medical Fund, so come for drinks and laughs with us, and tons of surprises, we can't give them all away, but prizes will include tickets to SNL, the season finale of RuPaul's Drag Race, Impractical Jokers, Daily Show, Seth Meyers, Sam B, tons of restaurant vouchers, signed books, personal training, haircuts, etc., it's gonna be great, you can buy tickets at the link in the description, so many people are doing this, uh, at LA, you've got Henry Zabrowski, Jackie Zabrowski, Amber Nelson, Ed Larson from the LPN crew. It's hosted by Murder Fist. Uh, NYC, you've got Kissel and myself hitting the stage. You've got Jordan Temple, Travis Irvine. This is at Arlene's Grocery. It's going to be a, a great night, so please consider joining us, and thank you so much. The whiny version of the Harry Potter film series uh, uh, theme song, which we're not even covering in today's episode. Jackie Zabrowski, my guest on the Harry Potter episode. Hi, it is I, your, uh, wow, it's easy to do it this time. It is yeah. I, your magic-wielding uh, wizardry school wizard, Holden McNeely. Jackie, do you want to be some kind of a bruiser? It is I, old queenest magicist. Uh, ja- I don't know what I'm saying. It's Jackie Zabrowski. <laughs> it's Jackie Zabrowski. But I do want to talk a little bit like this because I am so excited to talk about Harry Potter. Harry Potter, of course. Jackie, um, you may know her from Roundtable of Gentlemen or also, if you haven't already been listening to it, page seven. We'll plug it again at the end, but check out page seven. I guest on it frequently, and uh, this is the perfect episode for you. We've been talking about this for months. I know, dude. I'm so excited. And it's finally happening. And, you know, I I will say the only reason why it didn't happen sooner is I got to say, I'm a little intimidated by this subject, you know? It's a lot, man. It's a lot to cover, even just looking through everything, because I don't bring up Harry Potter very often on page seven because Molly and Marcus don't care about Harry Potter. (laughs) And that's fine. I have dealt with this my entire life, being surrounded by people that really don't give a fuck about Harry Potter. So please give me a chance to talk about it. I was them three years ago. I was 100% with them, and I even talked about... I did a bonus episode for our Patreon with uh, Lexi, and I talked about how, you know... For me, it definitely was something that it was a little, a little before my time, kind of, but not true because, like, all of my college friends, I remember, you know, Order of the Phoenix 
midnight. They all went and got the books. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, they're, they're reading them all night. They're reading oh, them yeah. until the sun comes up, until they're finished with the book. And I'm sitting here being like, what the hell is going on? But of course, in college, I was Mr. Like, nonconformist. Oh, is that what everybody else likes? These children's books? Well, I'm not into that. You were drinking wine and listening to jazz because yeah. no one else did that. As yes. if no one else did and that. And playing chess and being like, trying to be like 40 or whatever. And then I started playing video games and reading fantasy novels again. And I have since become a much happier person. Right? Just in <laughs> Embrace it. Don't be a naysayer. It's okay. It's okay if you don't like it and it's not your thing. But also, like, don't hate on me because I love it. So, uh, speaking of you loving it, let's just start right there. Let's start with your story of coming to Harry Potter, and I will tell mine as well. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I think today on this episode we're going to be spending more time talking about Rowling, uh, J.K. Rowling. Her whole story is fascinating. Her whole process yeah. of writing the books, and then next episode will be more of a deep dive into specific elements of the books, the breaking down some characters and events and all those sorts of things. But I digress. Jackie, how old were you? What, were, what was what was going on in your life when um, you first picked up Sorcerer's Stone, a.k.a. Philosopher's Stone, if you were reading it in ye old English British? Get ready for some bad fucking accents, by the way, everybody. <laughs> oh, man, because they're not going to stop. <laughs> they are certainly not going to stop. Or my frog's version of the Harry Potter song. <laughs> I just imagine it's a chorus of frogs singing it. Um, I actually, I, I've got the the Harry Potter um, American slash British dream of growing up with it. So this, the first book came out in '97. And I was I was ten years old when it first came out, but I also was a bit of one of those naysayers at the time, and because that was the time when I had an older brother Henry who was mm. reading all these creepy DP books, and so I was reading Stephen King, and I was like, "These are baby books. I'm not doing this stuff." <laughs> and when I was thirteen, so it was the it was oh. the year when all of the book like it was the uh, Prisoner of Azkaban had just come out, ah. and I got the first three books for Christmas, and. I opened them. I was like, oh, great. Yeah, good. Harry Potter. And I read the first three books in the next month. Mm -hmm. And then that next year is when Goblet of Fire came out. And I then I was ramped, dude. I was so ready. That's such a big part, I think, of the on-ramp to the Harry Potter books, too. Those first three books are just so edible, just yeah. so quickly readable. And you're just like, well... I might as well read these. I can read these in like a week. Yeah. You know, I mean. And then Goblet of Fire came out and just smashed me mm -hmm. in the face, dude. Such, that's still, it is still my favorite book of the entire Mine series. Mine too. That is also right? my favorite book of the series. Yeah, yeah. My favorite film is probably uh, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, but yeah. my favorite uh, uh, book by far is is Goblet of Goblet Fire. Goblet of just, Fire, baby. And, and it is that moment to me, and one of the things I think that is so magical and beautiful about these books are, you're watching not only Harry Potter grow up, but you're you're watching Rowling come into her own as a writer and yes. um, really like evolve and, and and almost perfectly with the um, evolution of Potter of, of the uh, his, his going through adolescence and becoming a more complex person. It's really like you couldn't you couldn't uh, write it better, you know, like in the, yeah. in that sense. And 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 f to be fortunate enough to be someone like yourself, which I'm sad now in hindsight that I wasn't able to do this, to have actually gotten to also be a kid growing up. I grew up with Harry Potter. In fact, to the point that when the Deathly Hallows came out, was when I was in the thralls of addiction in college, and it was my last uh, semester of college, <laughs> and I was slowly reading it, and I finished the seventh book on the morning of my college graduation. Wow. And I 
cried and <laughs> cried because not only was my childhood of books over, but my childhood was over for real at that wow. point. And it really was, I just remember thinking, I was like, this is a moment I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And yeah. it really was. It, it, Harry Potter completely encapsulated my entire growing up. So many things, because even uh, uh, I would say, you, like a sexual awakening awakening happened yeah. for you with um, what's what's the what is his name? Victor Crumb. Victor Crumb was it? I mean, I had a, why. What was your sexual? Which awakening? I thought it was o- Oldman. Uh, who Oldman? Bill plays. Weasley. Was it Bill Weasley? I thought. Or Sirius Black. I wanted to. Sirius fuck Black. I thought. Sir- <laughs> The people in my brain, because the Weasleys were in my brain, there was a family of boys that I had a crush on the middle boy and all of them had really dark hair and they all had big blue eyes. In real life. In my head, in real life. So in my head, they were the Weasleys. And I always had the biggest crush on the oldest brother who had the steelest of blue eyes. So in my brain, they all looked like them. So (laughs) I wanted to fuck all the Weasleys, obviously. Did you and so you connected with definitely the the way she wrote this pubescence essentially and getting into because that was also the thing with me as we're both avid like uh, we love Friday Night Lights and stuff like that I almost started coming to those books more for the high school drama than I even came to them for the crazy you know magic plot into the world you know Jesus huge thing. world man <laughs> just the world that she created yes. was so in depth and so amazing and the fact that she came I know that we're gonna get into all this stuff but it's like oh, yeah. that she just came from she didn't come from a lot no and, from garbage and the fact that that's where her brain went and it was so in depth that I know again we're not gonna get into this today but the, all the things and all the tweets and everything that are coming out now it's like you think she ever left the world in her brain right she created it I was watching a documentary earlier where she was showing off handwritten rosters for everybody in Harry Potter's class and all these little symbols next to them to mark like how magical they were what their house was like all of these little details and if you listen to our Lord of the Rings episode and some of the other world building episodes that we've done the the devil is in those details like the yeah. more detailed for Tolkien it was more about building these really complex maps very specific maps you know and he would start there and he'd build it out of that and here you can see she's just writing all the she loves and we'll talk again. Uh, we'll get into it. Such so like a common I'm sorry, phrase. I was in the so bruiser. Excited. But but she, you know one of her favorite books. I think it was what is it? The last unicorn. The, oh, the uh, little Lion white the horse in the wardrobe. Well, the little white horse oh. actually is a book that she loved. And that book, she one of the things as a child that really drew her to that book is every time they ate in that book, every specific bit about the meal was described exactly what they ate. And she loved that detail. That really drew her to it. Another thing I loved. I was watching. Again, a doc, a doc earlier, and kind of as a little side part, they just talked about all the contents that you had to have as a student going to Hogwarts. You know, the 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 glass vial, the a set of glass vials, the quills, the dress robes, yeah, yeah the dress robes. The um, it, it was all these little specific. It was even um, I love that what they call it was like one kettle, uh, pewter class B or something like that, or like like you like class two or something like like just these little things that just make you. It makes it feel real. And for so many yeah. people, that's what drew them to this fantasy work that were never drawn to fantasy before because she sprouted it out of a real world as opposed to, which again, much like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, I think in a lot of ways, why we love that book series. Again, God, I love that book. British Magic, which I want to do an episode on that one of these days. But um, again, much like that book, it was more like, here's this fantastical stuff 
but it's implanted in a real ass world. And we're even going to deal with real ass things like racism and death and all, all of this stuff. Well, for me personally, before we get into it, um, I will say, uh, I came to, what, 2016 was my year of Harry Potter. Uh, and you, Lex- were, you were one of those naysayers, because I was surprised oh, yeah. by you boys and you all. I got all the naysay of like, oh, it's a kid book. I think one thing that piqued my interest was when Deathly Hallows came out. Uh, I remember I remember our friend uh, Kep, uh, I remember him coming out of his room, having just finished it, and being like, nailed it. Stuck the landing. Yeah, And to dude. hear that as a person who, you know, I'm very skeptical about fantasy series that, you know, especially ones that don't have an ending that, you know, like Game of Thrones. I mean, that'll be ended at least in the in the show. At but, some point, yeah. Uh, Name of the Wind is a bit of a bummer because we're yes, just kind of sitting that waiting. that third one really shit the bed. Waiting for it, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and so... Uh, when I hear, oh, stuck the landing, or I hear George R. R. Martin say, I know the, I've known the ending from the very beginning, and to know that Rowling had a plan in place from the very beginning was super important. I think especially because Deathly Hallows came out around the time of Lost, and I remember everybody being like so into Lost, and and then when the, the TV Another show. Another one that shit the bed. And then the final season, the final episodes came out, and yeah, it kind of shit the bed, and and didn't have that, obviously didn't have that plan in place. Well, knowing that Deathly Hallows d- did, for better, I mean, who knows, What, wh- however you feel about it, I think most people are pretty satisfied with it, made me go, oh, maybe I should check this out. And then, you know, Lex and I always like consuming media together. That's a big yeah. thing that we do. So we decided, hey, why don't we read each book, and after each book's done, we'll watch the movies, and we'll finally sit down and just, like, devour Harry Potter. And we did over the course of the year. And it was, like, an incredibly fun journey. Uh, Again, it was really easy to get started, and I think that really helps because, like, oh, I'll read this, like, super simple children's book. I mean— And you breeze through the first three. Breeze through it. Yeah, yeah, breeze through it. And and, and the first three completely. And then when you get to that fourth one, uh, by that time, you, like, want to live in this world, and you don't want the books to end. It's a really brilliant way to to onboard. So, because I still have like my fort, the Goblet of Fire, because I've got I've got all the you know first editions with their covers in my room in my be- my childhood bedroom, and the fourth book is just it's all wavy from how much I cried <laughs> onto the book, and I love that. I love that because that was truly it was the first book that had ever made me cry. Mm. And I just sobbed when Cedric Diggory died. Yeah, 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 for sure. By the way, spoiler alerts, but I mean... I mean spoiler alerts. Yeah, when Dumbledore gets fucking straight murdered. Murdered. uh, (laughs) He had to do it. But anyway. (laughs) Well, I I had a great time with it. And um, again, say what you will about the movies. I did enjoy watching the films after reading each book, even though they might not have been nearly as good as the books. It was a lot of fun to sit with Lexi and analyze how they adapted the film, uh, the the books into films. And and to just get to, again, it just extended the world. It just allowed us to continue to live in the world just a little bit longer. A little bit longer. We even got a a co-op board game we love to play together, uh, uh, Battle at Hogwarts, which is super fun board game. You know, we we loved it. I I gave her the uh, Luna's Wand. I think at this point... Lexi, if we have a daughter, Lexi's pretty uh, on naming her Myrtle? Luna. Oh. Uh, yeah, Myrtle. I want Myrtle. <laughs> oh. I wanted Scabbers, but uh, she was... <laughs> Scabbers. She's always moaning. Scabbers, one of my favorite uh, elements in the early early books. Anyways. Oh, yeah. 
So let us begin. Let's, I mean, we have to, you you can't talk about Harry Potter without talking about J.K. Rowling. I mean, it is her brainchild and her story is pretty fascinating. So here we go. Let's jump in Hell yeah. to, to the nitty, the nitty gritty, the thick meat. Two feet, um, baby. Okay, so first of all, her real name, Joanne Rawling. Uh, the K in Rawling was actually after her paternal grandmother, Kathleen, mm-hmm. and she goes by Joe. Uh, she so was, cool. she said, I was born in Chipping Sodbury General Hospital, uh-huh. which I think is appropriate for someone who collects funny names. <laughs> oh, it's just oh, so. I do agree. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, anyways, uh, so she was born in 1965 to a Rolls Royce aircraft engineer father and a science technician mother in Yate, Gloucestershire, England, just north of Bristol. Neither of them had gone to college, and they actually met at King's Cross Station, which oh of course- Oh my god! Yeah, so that's why the passage into Hogwarts is at King Cro- King's Cross Station. Oh my Cross god, Station. I love it, Platform 9 and here. Yes, please! <laughs> and you, of course, you can go, and they have a little- uh, carriage that's like halfway into the wall, and you can take pictures with it. Wait, have you been to Have you been to Harry Potter World yet? No, I'm so no, I'm so. Oh, sad dude, about should it. I not get into this because no, I have no. to say it's magical. It Please, is. in in the uh, in the uh, Universal Orlando, it's insane because it, you can actually take the train from Platform Nine and Three Quarters, and you can go from Hogsmeade to Diagon Alley. So they've got the evil dark side of it with all the dark arts as well as Hogsmeade because the one in LA it's fine but that having all of the worlds and that you can actually you know you take the picture at platform nine and three quarters but the fact that you can get on the train and you're just really going from one theme park to another theme park but they've got this like they've got all the things in the window so it makes you seem like you're traveling into the magical world and have everything all set up and it's just it's such an immersive it's such an immersive place that gives you everything you want that really is just like, take all of my money. I love yeah. Harry Potter and I want to live in the world. <laughs> yeah, I really want to go. We may even kind of make it a honeymoon thing. We've been talking about it forever. Of course, Lexi is like dying to go. Mm-hmm. So I have to make it happen soon. So anyways, she had a sister born to the family when she was just 23 months old. They moved to a nearby town of Winterbourne at four years old. And Rowling had this to say, and I'm going to stop doing the British accent because I just can't hold You're it You're not going to keep doing it? <laughs> I was convinced that the only thing I wanted to do ever was to write novels. However, my parents, both of whom came from impoverished backgrounds and neither of whom had been to college, took the view that my overactive imagination was an amusing personal quirk that would never pay a mortgage or secure a pension. To be fair, on the whole, that's usually what it is. But I will say, it, absolutely, but I will say this, it is interesting. an interesting thought that I do feel like the more impoverished you are, the more your imagination is able to flourish. The more that you can, because you, you, you're sitting around, you don't have a bunch of toys to play with, you're not just handed a bunch of free entertainment to enjoy. You have to, you have to create your own stories, and I think that being poor and growing up that way definitely was uh, probably a part of that, uh, her process for how she ended up just getting this such an unbelievable imagination. She loved Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, as a kid, of course. Did you ever read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Yes, I read the first book, but I never read the whole series. I uh, I bet I could go back and enjoy it. I loved the first book, and for some reason, the second book, I, I just got bored halfway through, and I'm not sure why, because I'm too too old to remember. So that yeah. was a long time ago, but you were you loved that series? I would say give it a revisit. I, I, I haven't right. read it since I was probably a teenager, but it was definitely one of those ones that I would like pop into rotation uh, once every couple of years. Uh, She also loved a book called The Little White Horse, which was actually about an orphaned teenage girl 
Mm, connection. Interesting. Sent to, interesting. Sent to her cousin's manor house, which is magical and contains a unicorn. Ooh. And another book called Manx Mouse, about a mouse statue that comes to life. And scampers around. And also, she pulls this from so many different parts of her childhood, which is insane. Absolutely. And her first story she wrote uh, was this. Certainly the first story I ever wrote, said Rowling, uh, wrote down when I was five or six, was about a rabbit called Rabbit. He got Mm. the measles and was visited by his friends, including a giant bee called Miss Bee. And ever since Rabbit and Miss Bee, I have wanted to be a writer, though I rarely told anyone so. I was afraid they'd tell me I didn't have a hope. Ugh. Oh God! But I mean, I I mean, I understand the whole idea where where people ask how Henry and I work so well together as adults because we did things like write comic books when we were little, and right. I would write I, I would write the villain. His name was Sweet Pea. He was a pea, and he had legs, and he had knives for hands. And then Henry wrote the Flying Grape, and he was the hero, and I was the villain. So it's like writing those things is such a formative part of of opening up your imagination. And I feel like so many people have such small they they. Put like they keep their brains in a box because they were never allowed to explore the way people like J.K. Rowling has. Yeah, it was really my my mother actually put me in a summer thing called Young Writers Workshop. Where they actually tried to get very very young kids writing, and I have totally stole. If you've listened to uh, Calvin and Hobbes episode, I totally stole from Calvin and Hobbes and created this whole like superhero thing, fighting the mom from Mars. And I got to like read this thing about like how evil the mom from Mars was, like at the end of the the summer thing with my Hell mom yeah. in the That's audience. Great. It was really funny. That's um, my son. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know how she got the name Potter? Of course. Well, you're going to definitely fucking know how it happened. Yeah, I want right to know. She was looking at a pot. She's like, uh, <laughs> ur, ur, but. No, she was smoking a bunch of hash. She was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, this really good pot. That's um, not what she did. <laughs> she says this to say, a gang of children, including myself and my sister, used to play together up and down our street in Winterbourne. Two of the gang members were a brother and sister whose surname was Potter. I always liked that name. But then I was always keener on my friend's surnames than my own. And uh, when she was a young teenager, her great aunt gave her Jessica Mitford's autobiography, Huns and Rebels. And this is how Jessica Mitford became J.K. Rowling's uh, absolute idol, her big inspiration. This is Now, this, I've never heard of this woman before. This woman was this badass political activist that was born to, like, an aristocratic household. Her uh, older sisters were, like, total fucking not, like, straight-up Nazis. Yikes. Like, tra- straight-up supported Nazism. She... Ended up like uh, Rowling. Well, Rowling says this here. I'll put it in Rowling's words. Uh, it's so hard for me not, not to say Rowling. Yes, I know it's Rowling, but I've always pronounced it Rowling. Rowling. So, Rowling. So you guys are really gonna enjoy uh, constant mispronunciations of it. So, anyways, but it is Rowling. Apparently, Rowling says Jessica Mitford has been my heroine since I was 14 years old. When I overheard my formidable great aunt discussing how Mitford had run away at the age of 19 to fight with the Reds in the Spanish Civil War. Good lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, Rowling describes her as incurably and instinctively rebellious, brave, adventurous, funny, and irreverent. She liked nothing better than a good fight, preferably against a pompous and hypocritical target. And I think that even shows a little bit, as we'll see with Rowling and her her whole relationship with the paparazzi. You know, she's known as being this kind of, she's one of the celebrities that really bites back. And yes. good for fucking her, too, on that stuff. Um 
So she had, of course, very unhappy teenage years, because what artist doesn't, under a mother diagnosed with multiple sclerosis oh, and a God. father that she did not get along with. Um, and they are now, even now, are not on speaking terms, to my knowledge. I bet he wish he was, though. I'll tell you what. <laughs> and uh, she even says uh, she based Hermione Granger off of her 11-year-old self. So definitely someone who spoke up for herself, who was, uh, you know, but also it, stuck to the rules. Yes, but stuck to the rules. Very interesting. Um, and so she had uh, her best friend in upper sixth, which are the final years of high school. In yeah, I don't know what that means. Oh, I yeah. had to look. I think it's senior year. If it's not senior like year, it's junior like year. It's something. Uh, he drove a turquoise Ford Anglia, which appears as a flying car in the series. It's the Weasley car. It's the Weasley car. I love this about her. Uh, and I think you'll love this about her when she was in high school. She loved, of course, listening to The Clash, The Smiths, Cha. and Susie Sue. Is that how you say it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know French. She had a new that whole new wave look with like the dark eyeliner around the eyes and Hell like the yeah. crazy like. I wonder if she even dyed her hair black because it seems like she did. She was like full on modeled herself after Sexy. that look. And she went to St. Michael's Primary School in Winterbourne, and the headmaster there, Alfred Dunn, is said to have been an inspiration for Dumbledore. Oh, my God. Dumbledore, don't even say his name. I know, because he super dies. He's so fucking dead. And then the guy in the movies died. It's like a whole thing. Uh. Um, And she went to Weedeen School and College for secondary school. The mother worked in the uh, her mother worked in the science department. She wasn't known as an exceptional student by her English teacher, but got good enough grades to be head girl, which is essentially valedictorian. Of course, Jackie was nicknamed head girl in uh, high school, but for a completely different. Reason. <laughs> no, it's kind of like a prefect, though, right? I think so. I'm assuming. I think she was she was smart. She was smart. Um, so she, but not smart enough to get into Oxford University. Wait so a second, she, were you talking about blowjobs? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> With the head girl, hundred percent. Talking about you fucking being like, you know, the D- Dairy Queen. I think was another nickname you had. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, you can turn me upside down. I won't slide. <laughs> um. So, anyways, uh, she, come on, please. This series, this I'm sorry. series, I'm, right I'm listening. I'm listening. She gets a BA in French and classics at the University of Exeter, and claims to have worked hard there. Uh, claims not to have worked hard there, rather, uh, like so many up and coming writers. Instead, she was reading a lot of Dickens and Tolkien instead. And I think, you know, I think you see a really solid mixture of Tolkien and Dickens in her work, especially the way she paints, like those dark neighborhoods and stuff very Dickensian I didn't really think about that that much but definitely the Britain being painted in a lot of her work is is very Dickensian these filthy streets and these like low lifes and stuff I feel like she captured it in a way of why I always actually disliked reading Dickens because because there were it's like I don't want to read 15 pages of you describing the moors it's like I get it yeah yeah yeah, it's drab sucks out there so that's why I feel like J.K. Rowling took so many aspects of these different writers and made it for a YA audience, but also just made it more palatable for people of all ages because she was able to describe in such in such detail, but in like in so many words. You know what I mean? It's I think the word to me that I really appreciate in writing is efficiency. Yes, you know she was able to really be just very very efficient with with her work um mm-hmm. 
uh, and, and paint a picture quickly. We get in there, we get in with the characters, and we're just constantly moving. I mean, even right now I'm reading her detective, uh, the Cormoran Strike detective Dude, novel yeah, series. I'm in Cuckoo's Calling right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's so yes. good, and it just moves, moves, moves. It's such a yep. good yarn. Uh, and if you think about it, too, reading her detective novel work, every Harry Potter book in some way is a mystery. Novel. Of course. It's all there's always some mystery that and there's big reveals at the end of the book. I mean, I think she always part of her really wanted to be writing detective novels and just put that into and that's what again makes the book so intriguing so you don't just have this why you know magical world that's so amazing with these great characters and this crazy, you know, good versus evil plot line, but you also always have uh, something that you that you know, Lexi and I are constantly. Lexi, by the way, is amazing at this. She can always predict the end of like a mystery book, and it makes me fucking crazy because like I never <laughs> even try to predict the end of a mystery book. I just sort <laughs> just of just enjoy you know. it. Yeah, and she, but she loves to put the pieces together, and she'll always predict it correctly. And then she'll tell me what her prediction is after I've read the thing already, and I'm just like, I don't. Maybe, yeah, it fucking. Of course it is. Of course, of course it is. But let me enjoy this. <laughs> but I love that. But she really perfected the build of a book where it was because mm-hmm. you knew that there was going to be the big battle in the end and mm-hmm. it was never something that's like okay here comes the battle right. it, it was just, it was the perfect uh it was the perfect build through every single book so here is where things get a little more interesting i Ooh. would say in the rolling life uh lifeline here she worked as a researcher and bilingual secretary in london for amnesty international that's this uh the london human rights organization and she this is something i didn't really realize until i've started learning about her she was pretty fluent in french i mean obviously she got her ba in french so she she even later gets a job as a french teacher while she's writing the second book because her agent told her not to quit her day job which is hilarious (laughs) uh so uh but yeah she she's always working in the french language and i guess you do get a little of that in goblet of fire one of my favorite things yeah one of my favorite things about goblet of fire is the french wizard school bobaton yes please Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) i'm gonna gonna run a train through bobaton i'm not talking about platform nine and three quarters okay all right dairy queen uh (laughs) (laughs) she moves to manchester with her boyfriend at the time and she's working in the chamber of commerce in 1990, when on a four-hour delayed train from Manchester to London, she got an idea for a young boy attending a school of wizardry, and apparently it came fully formed, I quote, in her mind. She said of this, One weekend after flat hunting, I took the train back to London on my own, and the idea for Harry Potter fell into my head. A scrawny, little, black-haired, bespectacled boy became more and more of a wizard to me. I began to write Philosopher's Stone that very evening, although the first couple of pages looked nothing like the finished product. So, uh, yeah, she, she starts immediately hammering away it, and the way she described it, she she describes it like um she described it like falling in love or like um the giddiness you get when you meet someone for the first time. Yeah. And she knew that she was going to have this really long, uh, non-sexual, because it's a boy, Jackie. Epic, it's an epic journey. Relationship. She knew she was going to have this like really long relationship with this new person, and it was just this magical thing. The way she personifies her relationship with her own idea is, is something on another level that as a person who does write and is a creative, like I've never experienced anything like that. I've never been that compelled to just immediately start writing like that either. 
Well, especially because it is a courtship over time, because this is a relationship for her. You know, Harry Potter to J.K. Rowling, it, 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 this is the greatest love of her life. She put so much into it that how do you not see it as a part of you? A part of your soul, right? Right. Is that dumb to say? And and it, and it's the intersection of two things. So she gets this magical inspiration out of nowhere on this t- train trip, and then like just later that year, as she's starting to work on the story, her mother dies after ten years of dealing with MS. And Man, Rowling describes it as the most traumatizing day of her life. She says, "Dad called me at seven o'clock the next morning, and I just knew what had happened before he spoke. I ran downstairs. I had that kind of white noise panic in my head, but could not grasp the enormity of my mother having died. Barely a day goes by when I do not think of her. There would be so much to tell her, impossibly much. Ugh, I mean." That's so, that's so devastating. So devastating. I was, Especially I was, before everything happened, she had no idea what her daughter became, too. I was afraid I was like even going to get choked up saying that, because that is just so unbelievable. And, and of course, and so this adds the layer that makes Harry Potter Harry Potter. The whole, all of these books are about death. This whimsical, magical children's story. But the whole thing is about dealing your with death, your relationship with death, your fear of it. Um, Voldemort's trying to live forever. He, you know, he he clearly has a terrible relationship with the idea of dying. Yes. Um, Harry Potter constantly grappling with the death of his parents from the very beginning. And you also, know? if his death is worth saving all of wizard humanity, which mm-hmm. yeah, it is. You're just a dude. So the whole thing now is just rolling channeling her feelings of loss into her work through the character of Harry Potter and spending the next five years outlining these seven books. So the first book is written after five years, but the whole time she's in her, she's laying it all out. She's laying the whole seven books out. And I just want to say, if you are a person who is about to write the next great fantasy series, just figure before you even start the first, just, Plan just it. The whole, just plan, plan the whole it. thing. Plan the whole thing. And I you also, I, mean? I don't know, if, I don't mean to jump ahead, because it's like when she was toying with the idea at the very beginning and then decided from the beginning that she wasn't going to kill off the, to- the, the, the top three. And she mm-hmm. knew that she wasn't going to kill off the top three because that's what, she had already decided it, and it's, it was already canon before she wrote it, and I feel like that is such a smart move where it's like, okay, everybody else is on the table to get just knocked off at any at any second, but the top three are not, and I, I, I've actually gotten to many arguments about this before of whether it was better to not kill one of the main three or would it have been more effective if she, if she had, but at the same time, this is her world, and if that's something that w- that she wanted from the very beginning, who are you to say that she was wrong? Right. And, but is, kill, you know, it does, if there was a good reason for killing any, any of them off, I could understand. But I think for, it's for a children's series and for what she was, she was trying to say about death, which is actually at the end of the day, hilariously enough, you have all these Christians forbidding their kids from reading the Harry Potter because it's about wizards and witches and the whole thing is a Christian allegory <laughs> the yeah. whole thing is deeply religious she has spoken out about how, that she is deeply religious um, you know it's it's not like straight allegory but I mean it just has a very fun Christian uh, bedrock underneath it and I think that that is another interesting part because I do remember those days and um, over the top uh, fundamentalists being like, you can't, it's wi- it's witch witchcraft. Witchcraft, you can't read that in a Catholic school. It's like, oh, <laughs> get over it, Jesus. 
Hello everyone, it is me, your bumbling bruiser Jake, here to talk about this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Admit it, you think cybercrime is something that happens to other people, dumber people. You may think nobody actually wants your data, or that there's just so many loose accounts out there that you couldn't possibly be at risk, but that's where you'd be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people, especially on public networks, is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. And when you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. That's why you need to take action. To protect yourself from cyber criminals, you should check out ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. And turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. By using ExpressVPN, you can safely surf public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. For less than $7 a month, you can get ExpressVPN and experience the protection from snooping, criminals, or maybe just that little bit of extra security where, you know, hitting Control-Shift-N isn't exactly bulletproof. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash wizard. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wizard for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash wizard and learn what a VPN can do for you. Uh, Rowling ends up moving to Porto, Portugal to teach English as a foreign language at night. And during the day, she would write while listening to Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto. Mm. Um, She met a television journalist there named Jorge Arantes, and they shared an interest in Jane Austen. Rowling has stated that her favorite book is Emma. Have you read any Austen? No, I've seen Emma, though. That's the uh, the Goop movie. Yeah, I saw Emma in the theater, actually. I remember that. Uh, but anyways, they get married in 1992 and have a child. Um, that child's name is Jessica, named after Jessica Mitford, Aww, the badass. Good mm-hmm. But she did previously suffer a miscarriage before that, um, which must have been absolutely devastating. This marriage ends, by the way, uh, speaking of more devastation, Ugh. in November of 1993. So they have the kid in 93. Later that year, they get divorced. And there are implications that she suffered some kind of domestic abuse. With so she's marriage. going through all of this while writing the first book. Because the first book wasn't published until 97. Yes. So all of this stuff is happening while she's trying to write the next, uh, you know, great British series. The next great everything series. The next, yes. the biggest fucking, probably biggest book series selling, I think. It's only the Bible has been translated in more languages. Insane. It's That's completely insane. insane. <laughs> Isn't it weird to say that she's like, I'm so proud of her. I know. Well, this is <laughs> where so you really become so mystified by this woman's strength. So Rowling moves in with her infant daughter to Edinburgh, Scotland, where her sister lived. She had three chapters of Harry Potter, of the Harry Potter manuscript in her suitcase that she shows up with. And this is now J.K. Rowling at at the lowest point in her life. She is divorced and jobless with an infant at the age of 29. And she actually describes this feeling of being, and I, I connect with this hugely. She describes this feeling of being a failure as liberating. Because she could say, you know, what do I have to lose? I'm just going to fucking write this thing. 
Like, why not? What else, you know, what else am I going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm at the bottom. I'm as low as you can go. I might as well just live in this fantasy world, write this thing. You I mean, know? not even to say this, but I knew this about her, and I remember when I was going through my life breakdown at the age of 29, and I, j- I remember thinking about that, because mm. I know it's like all the memes of like, where it's like, you think that 30 is too old to start over again. It's like, J.K. Rowling had was jobless, had an infant, had just had a divorce, had gone through multiple miscarriages, and started Harry Potter at the age of 30. There's always time to start your life over again. Unbelievable. And anybody who doesn't think it, and anybody who thinks, I have a kid, I can't pursue that. I have this going on. I can't, I'm sick. I have, I can't pursue that. Bullshit. And I, and I, you know, it, I know it's, impo- I know it feels impossible. And I know there's probably a million barriers in your way, but there's something you can do right now. There's something you can do right fucking now to bust through that barrier, you know? Mm-hmm. And she even admits, Rowling even admits, there's people like, how did you write this book? Broke as fuck with the kid. She was getting welfare from the government. And she said, I lived in squalor. I lived in filth. And that's how I wrote it. Because yeah, I didn't do the dishes. Napkins, yeah, you know? I, and, and she didn't do the dishes. And she didn't she didn't clean. She lived in a filthy ass apartment raising this kid because she was just raising this kid and writing this book. And those were the two things that she was doing. But she found a way. She busted through and she did it. And, you know, I, I, I have been there. I have totally, not to the degree that she has, so I feel way, way ridiculous even comparing myself to her. But I have been in a state of absolute just like, I'm miserable at my job, I'm miserable every minute of the day, and I'm just going to fucking stream and do this pot and do it, at, you know, and just write this thing and bust through this, because what the fuck else are you going to do? But also, just because just because you weren't in the same position she was in doesn't mean that you can't take inspiration from someone like this, oh, though. Absolutely, absolutely. I love, I love that feeling, too. Sometimes I have my greatest... You know, and it's romantic to think about it, but when I've been going through like a horrible breakup, I mean, you remember that that year, yeah. when, you know, 2016, even for me, the my year of Harry Potter was really the, another kind of bummer, rock bottomish year for me, and I, that I kind of b- b- busted out of. But I remember, especially like that summer, going through that breakup and those depths of sadness. Those are some of the most fun days I've ever had because it almost takes you getting that fucked up in your life, yeah, to just let go of everything and stop being so safe and stop being so and just like go on an adventure or like start doing that thing that you never thought you could do, like Twitch yeah. streaming or something like Throw that. Throw yourself into it. Might as well, because what yeah. the fuck else are you gonna Already do? Already at rock bottom, I can't get much further. And and figure out a way to channel all of this stuff because during this time she has clinical depression and suicidal thoughts and that was totally the inspiration for the dementors she she went to therapy by the way during this time so again she's getting help she's not doing this all on her own she definitely reached out to get uh help and what's interesting about her <laughs> i keep writing the note and that sent her back to therapy all throughout her story <laughs> her lowest point she's broke she's got nothing she's going to therapy her highest point she's famous to the point where she can't even leave the that fucking she has house. to go to therapy she has to go to therapy so <laughs> It's really like, you know, know, it it, it never ends. In other words, it's not like you just like have this horrible part of your life and then it's just over and you're fine. No. Um, So she said about this time, I would say to any single parent currently feeling the weight of stereotype or stigmatization that I am prouder of my years as a single mother than of any other part of my life. That's amazing. I love that quote. Uh, and, And she ended up, we'll talk about her philanthropy later, but she ends up putting money back into supporting single parents and uh again Dude, that's it's like awesome it's the struggle that makes it happen like you can't i don't know a single 
stand-up comic, at least not the ones that are doing incredibly well, that didn't have major bullshit Rock to break bottom. out of. Like mm-hmm. most of my most successful friends that are in comedy grew up in the projects. Yeah. Like straight up. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of, you because know. Because you're working towards something because you're, it's, it's just something, it's it's the dream, it's the imagination of, of trying to work towards something bigger than you are. And if you can su- survive that, you can survive Hollywood. You can mm-hmm. survive this deadline you have to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you made it through fucking, I mean, you know what I mean? So, um, She's writing her first novel. She's writing Philosopher's Stone in cafes around Edinburgh. Um, and the reason why is because uh, her baby would would fall asleep when she was just always moving. So she had to take her out into the stroller, get her to fall asleep, and then quickly set up in a cafe and, write, and write, start write, writing. Right, 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 She said, whenever Jessica fell asleep in her stroller, I would dash to the nearest cafe and write like mad. I wrote nearly every evening. Then I had to type the whole thing out myself. Sometimes I actually hated the book, even while I loved it. Uh, she had to rewrite the first chapter approximately 15 times, and it looks nothing like it looked when she first wrote it. Uh, of course. She also had to deal with all these newbie mistakes, such as, and this sounds like a fucking nightmare to me, she had to retype the whole manuscript because it wasn't double-spaced. No! Why? Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, because it was typewriter. And it was on a typewriter. Yeah. It was, oh, exactly. It wasn't on, yeah. Dude. She wrote it on like an old-ass fucking type. I mean, this is like the real Rags and Riches story. Yeah, man. You, when, I, when I started doing research on her, I'm just like, are you serious? Can you this imagine like- getting that note and just like, I'd cry for Uh, 12 hours straight, and then I would do it. uh, So um, the manuscript is rejected by several people before, by several agents before she gets the the one. Um, This man named Byrony Evans is running a small-time literary agency out of a tiny office as a hobby. It was called the Christopher Little Literary Agency. Very difficult Uh, to say. And, uh, yeah, and... and, (laughs) And she just liked it because she felt like Christopher Little was like a name in a children's book. Yeah, so it, it drew did. Her yeah, to it, it sounds like it. Um, an old client said this about the agency, rightly or wrongly, you used to get the distinct impression that the business was about to go under at any time. I remember my lawyer insisting that my royalties be paid into my account rather than the company's just so that we could be sure we actually got the money. Damn. Uh, so Rowling goes into a public library and looks up literary agencies, and just this name stands out to her. Uh, she sends in her manuscript. Byrony calls her up four days later to take her on, and they end up selling the UK and Commonwealth rights to Bloomsbury Publishing for twenty five hundred pounds. Is that uh, heavy? That oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had to cart it out. Jokes. The fucking wheelbarrow. Um, <laughs> The chairman gives the first chat. This is, by the way, this reminds. This gives me Tolkien feels because almost the exact same thing happened for the Hobbit with Tolkien. Yeah. The chairman of Bloomsbury gives the first chapter to his daughter, who immediately demands the next, and that was the whole thing. Oh, that's and so that's so how they cute. ended. So that's how they ended up buying it. Could you imagine being the little girl responsible for like giving Harry Potter to the world? You'd by be the like way? Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator. Yeah. It's like a yay or nay situation. Like, exactly. Do I send it to death? <laughs> I love, too, that she was just like, I need the next one. Now, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, she's Veruca Salt in it, which guffaw. So they didn't think this book was going to do shit. Uh, there was a initial print run of 1,000 copies, and 500 of those copies were distributed to libraries. Uh, by the way, those copies go for between 6,000 to 25,000 pounds. Very nowadays. heavy. If you get a, if you get a, a hold <laughs> of, of one of those books, you uh, might become quite. But, I, of course, I would never uh, sell that if I no. got one of those. 
Um, Bloomsbury felt that boys wouldn't want to read a book by a woman, hence Jesus. the JK. So that is why the name was changed to JK. Times have changed, and I'm happy about it. I will also say, though, that uh, that's such a fantasy novelist thing, I think, also to do initials instead of... Uh, Full of, names. Uh, yeah, exactly. So anyways, word of mouth spreads, and uh, Potter becomes pretty popular. Like, it's not... It's she's still not a overnight a millionaire situation at all. I mean, she still has it, you know, is working and doing stuff. But the Herald was writing stuff like, "I have yet to find a child who can put it down." And Aww. by 1999, there are 300,000 copies sold in the UK. Mm-hmm. It wins some awards, it gets some notoriety, and the big breakthrough though is when the rights to publish in the U.S. are auctioned to Scholastic Inc. For $105,000, which is actually unprecedented at the time, especially for a new author with her very first book. But the, again, the, the... Wait, so what does that mean? That So that Scholastic essentially bought her of like, you can't release this on any other publishing company? They essentially just... Bloomsbury was the UK publisher. Scholastic was the US publisher. Gotcha. So Scholastic is just the one, you know, they're putting the book into the stores, right? Okay. In the US. They're, they're distributing it. I'm sure they worked out a deal. I, I I don't know, though. I could go look at how she... I'm sure she got more than just $105,000 for the books that were sold in the U... You know what I mean? I'm sure yeah. there's a deal there. But this $105,000, I mean, this... She still doesn't quit her day job, but this is, like, the big moment where she realizes, like, holy shit, something is happening. This is opening up, dude. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they even said, yeah, Rowling even said she nearly died when she found out about it. This is, like, a huge deal for her. So it is published as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in the U.S. as opposed to Philosopher's Stone. And J.K. actually really regrets this. It is kind of a weird choice. Like, why do they? I don't know. I feel like it's six to one half a dozen of the other when it comes to where it's like Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. You would just look it up either way because like I didn't know about it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, So she starts to work on Chamber of Secrets and then, of course, Prisoner of Azkaban comes after that. While writing Chamber of Secrets, she's still working uh, full time as a French teacher and she's not thinking that this writing success is going to stick. I mean, you have to realize she, she, in her mind, she's like... I think this is just like a one-time thing. I mean, I'm going to write the second book, but she still isn't crushing it. You know what yeah. I mean? She still has a day job, you know? She can't trust this just yet, because what if it all goes under? She's it, she's no longer on welfare. She was able to move into, like, a nicer apartment, you know? Like, it was just, it was that, you know? It was still, mm-hmm. like, almost hobbyist. So um, she finds it very difficult to finish this book, uh, Chamber of Secrets, because she fears that it will not live up to the standards of the first book. She says, I had my first burst of publicity about the first book, and it paralyzed me. I was scared the second book wouldn't measure up. I was completely overwhelmed. I suddenly felt responsible in many different ways. I was downright paranoid that I would do something stupid. And, of course, it is considered probably the weakest in the series. I think both film and book. You get some really great things. I mean, I feel you get Dobby, which I think Dobby becomes way more interesting as the series goes on and becomes this huge, I mean, gut punch as the series goes on as well. But also she had to set up the world. She was still figuring things out. That's why I don't like for me personally, it's not one that I will go back and, you know, I've reread it probably five times, but I'm also good, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. And it has some really great moments. Like, I love the the spiders, uh, the spider scene. Um, I think the mystery's fun, you know? It has a bit of a deus ex machina ending and this yeah. and that, but... But there, there's still some really great stuff in there. Integral to the entire plot overall, though. Yeah, all these... And that's one of her great marks 
that I love about a really strong fantasy series is like planting these seeds that she brilliantly sprouts three books later, four yeah, books man. later. It's unbelievable with that stuff. But it is all, even though it's considered the weakest, it is still more successful than the first book. Things mm-hmm. are going great. Uh, and, and this is what leads to a seven figure deal with Warner Brothers for the film series. That's going down around this time. And that's when finally Rowling is a full time writer, no side jobs, able to fully focus on Prisoner of Azkaban. Fuck uh, yeah. She, she does claim it to be one of the most enjoyable uh, books to write. Though also she she has like notes to the editors such as this. I've read Prisoner of Azkaban so much I'm sick of it. I never read either of the others over and over again when editing them, but I really had to this time. So she's also still really slugging away. And we have to remember too, at this point, she's able to break out of this later, spoiler alert, but at this point, she's writing these books in a year. Because that's oh, yeah, the dude. deadline. That's the deadline. And that is pretty intense, especially, and, and it, it all breaks down with the next book, right? Yeah, but at the same time, Prisoner of Azkaban, to have been written in a year, Mm -hmm. that is such a great book. That's her kind of perfecting the more children's you know you can see she's it's about the to beginning leave. of the turn it is yeah. it's, it's a right of like it's like it's a, like right underneath the top of the bell curve i feel like that's the goblet of fire and then it all just like <laughs> towards the end you know what I mean? yeah it is yeah it's totally that fucking free bird fucking solo right <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah it, it 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 feels like she's perfecting this format this type of of book and now she's about to ascend into greatness but she's also about to do that while still on a year-long deadline which is a complete piece of shit <laughs> for her insane because this book is gonna be goblet of fire is what we're talking about of course uh hugely forward it's 636 pages it's twice as long as azkaban still written though again in this one year span and there is a lot of pressure to meet her deadline and uh, and she's starting to freak out about that. So one way she starts to try to get around, you can tell she's already getting squirrely. She says, the first thing that I did when I finished Prisoner of Azkaban was discuss repaying the advance for the fourth book. Yes, Insane. you can imagine. People were a little bit shaken. I said, I want to give the money back and then I will be free to finish in my own time rather than to produce it for next year. She says, the pressure of it had become overwhelming. I found it difficult to write, which had never happened to me before in my life. The intensity of the scrutiny was overwhelming. I had been utterly unprepared for that, and I needed to step back, badly needed to step back. That was the period where I was chewing Nicorette, <laughs> and then I started and then I started smoking again, but I didn't stop the Nicorette. Ooh, that'll make you puke. And I swear on my children's lives, I was going to bed at night and having re- palpitations and having to get up and drink wa- some wine to put myself into a sufficient stupor. So she's yeah, just, girl, I hear you. I so, hear you. I've been that stress. I hear you. I love it. I love hearing shit like this, man. This makes this so much better because in my head, and this is me being a piece of shit, just assuming things. But in my head, I'm thinking when I see J.K. Rowling and she She made it, she's pretty, she's rich, she's British as shit. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, you come from a rich family, maybe even like royalty, maybe like a, 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 you know, some kind of like a, 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 what are they called? A duke. You know, or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's how so much we know about England. In upstate <laughs> Nordensbury or something like yeah, that. She comes yeah, from yeah. like Duke Duke Rawl Rawl Paul. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 she, you know, Ivy League schools and all this stuff. And then her parents invested in her and she got you know what I mean? No. no she worked for every single step. She worked her at and it was never easy. 
Like, no. never easy. She only made it harder for herself. She could have completely bullshitted her way through the rest of this series. Yeah, but can you imagine the weight of, of just thinking you're going to let down not only so many people, but so many children, children. and teenagers, and that, that if they hate reading this... I feel like this is the anxiety spin I would get into. If they hate reading it and I don't do well, what if they stop reading overall? What if this, like, what if I add into the fact that, like, generations are reading less and less? And what if I'm a factor in that? And also, though, you know, at the same time, I think she could have written a completely comparable book series that stayed in the same tone and the same writing style as the first three books. That wouldn't have been gotten nearly the level of respect and fame as these books now, but she would have been fine. She would have been very successful writing like 300 pagers, you know, gutting a lot of her uh, outline that she had planned and just sticking with the simple, simple, right? And just kind of churning them. She could be writing Harry Potter book 25 right now. Oh, yeah. You know, that's not even written by her. That's like written by her people. But she took it upon herself to, 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 she was compelled to tell this story and compelled to give children, again, it always comes back to respecting children. Yeah. I think so many of the children-oriented work that I have covered on Wizard and the Bruiser always comes back to a profound respect for children. Jeff and I were just talking about that earlier, like with Mr. Rogers. It's treating mm-hmm. children like that, that they're just, they're, they're adults except smaller. Yeah, and and they can and they can handle it, and they can talk about it. they they can um be confronted with death and, and be confronted with these elements that they are confronting. And if you're just trying to turn a blind eye, or you're just trying to think that they're not doing that, they're doing it without you. Yeah, P- shitty parent. That's what I'm talking to you right <laughs> whoa, now. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa. that's right. Shots fired, shitty parent. <laughs> so at one point in her writing, after finishing half the book, she found a giant plot hole. And had to do a big rewrite, which made her two months late for her deadline. She said, at Christmas, I sank to the depths. Can I do this? I asked myself. In the end, it was just persistence, sheer bloody mindedness. It took months. I had to unpack lots of what I'd written and take a different route to the ending. Damn. So, so yeah. And and, uh, specifically, chapter nine was a great challenge for her. Uh, that is uh, the one in the campgrounds at night in which oh. the Death Eaters show up, which is really cool, that imagery. Oh, when the dark mark is in the sky? And the dark mark hits the sky. Yeah. She said, I hated that chapter so much. At one point, I thought of missing it out altogether and just putting in a page saying, chapter nine was too difficult and going straight to chapter <laughs> 10. <laughs> no, but that's the beginning of the end. That's when you know you're like, oh, fuck, they here and they here to stay. Yeah, yeah. It's a big one, and it. I actually, I, I was glad that I went and found the chapter when I when I read about this because I I remember that chapter actually really really clearly, and I don't remember every chapter really clearly, but that one I told with the death with the weren't they floating? Aren't the Death Eaters yeah. floating yeah. in the sky? Yeah. And, and then the dark mark shows up in the sky. It's really eerie, and I remember. Uh, it, it, I can see the work was definitely put into that. You yeah. know, I can see it in my head. Um, so, anyways. Uh, At this point, Rowling says, I really was, oh, burnt out at the end of it. Really burnt out. And the idea of going straight into another Harry Potter book filled me with dread and horror. And that was the first time I had ever felt like that. I had been writing Harry for 10 years come 2000. And that was the first time I ever thought, oh, God, I don't want to keep going. 
And uh, that's when she went back to therapy. Went back to therapy. Go back to therapy if you can't write the book. <laughs> it was actually more because of the success and because of the fame and because of the fucking paparazzi. There needs to be laws in place. I don't yeah. understand to how they're able to people. do this stuff. Uh, yeah, it was very, very difficult for her. She said, I'm sure that I'll never have another success like Harry Potter for the rest of my life, no matter how many books I write, and no matter whether they're good or bad, I remember very clearly that I was thinking the same thing when the excitement over the fourth Harry Potter volume literally exploded. Chomp. The thought was unsettling to me at the time, and I still feel that way today. So, Goblet of Fire, you said you read the first three books, and then you were there for the day Goblet of Fire dropped? Oh, yeah, dog. Okay. Oh, yeah, we had found... um. We had like made up our own version of butterbeer. I had, like my mom had made me a a full um, gown. It was great. I had like I had my fake wand, and I'm telling you, it's like I was too old to be doing all of these things, but I was pumped. We I waited in line for like five hours. There's no need for it. Right. It's completely unnecessary. Yeah, I'm gonna get the, the book. Next... So did you just like run home with it and just read it straight? Th- I mean, how was the how was that? I had I had my four friends that were all we were all obsessed with Harry Potter and every time the next book would come out we would wait in line and then we would all go back to one of our houses and stay up all night long just reading and then we would go outside and like sit and like talk about what like what parts we had read and we were all trying to finish at the same time. How old are you at Goblet? What are you just like twelve? I was fourteen. Fourteen? Okay, right, right. That makes more sense. Fourteen yeah. is fourteen's what grade? This is middle school or high school? That is, this- is like seventh grade, eighth grade. Ugh, worst years of my life. Yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah, real rough. And especially 100%. when you're acting like a wizard when you're not a wizard. <laughs> I know, right? But also, I was very, I was like, except for my close friends, I never talked about my love for Harry Potter. I was ashamed. I was about to say, yeah, what was the climate like in school towards Harry Potter? Like in terms of just the general feeling about Harry Potter, like at school? It was, it was a nerdy... It was nerdy? Yes, it was too nerdy to be discussed, but we thought we were really cool. But, I mean, at the same time, by the by the end of it, it's like when Order of the Phoenix came out, or was it, I think it was Half-Blood Prince, it's like we were, like, snorting lines of Adderall to right. read it within 20. It's like we grew up to that point where it's like <laughs> we're all doing a bunch of drugs to sit here and read this book. <laughs> oh, I remember those days. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very thin. So, finally... Uh, Rowling puts her foot down and says, I can't fucking do this shit the way you need me to do this shit. I can't write another another 600 pager or more, as we're going to see. Actually, more like 870 pager. Uh, I can't write this within a year. I'm going to, my hair's falling out. I need to fucking, you know, probably was falling out. I don't know. I imagine. And also being a mother. Like, also having all of the other things you have to do to take care of your life and then also write this huge book that all this pressure is on. Within a year. Yeah, while... Okay, so she takes one, a one-year sabbatical, uh, and she's not even going on vacation. She's working on something else, which I think maybe is the Cormoran Strike novels. Hell yeah. I think. So she's not even not writing. She's just, like, not writing Harry Potter. Yeah, you gotta take a mind break. And she demands, finally, to the publishers, I no deadline, period. I need all the time I can, and by this time, because of how successful it all is, and I'm very happy she did this, because I think it would really affect the quality of the books going forward if she hadn't done this. She demands no deadline, and the publishers have to agree, I mean, at this point. She finally has the clout. It's like, Prisoner of Azkaban is that moment when she becomes a full-time writer. 
Goblet of Fire is that moment when she just breaks onto into this massive global ridiculous level of success and getting way more respect than I think she was getting up to that point. And also that that's the point that she can actually demand and get what she exactly. wants. Exactly. So Order of the Phoenix is her moment. And it's kind of funny because I feel like Order of the Phoenix is also the like fuck you mom and dad yes. book. It is the, the like pushback of Harry Potter of like I was given this and this is not fair. So again, I just think that every book is a mirror of What's going on with not only rolling the child, but rolling the adult Yeah. Uh, as she's writing it. And then she's saying, fuck you, publishers. I'm going to do this. And she's saying, fuck you, paparazzi, getting really pissed off with them. They're digging through her garbage. They're hiding in hedges. Uh, one even snuck a note into her daughter's book bag at school. Ugh, ugh. Uh, she was fucking super mad about that. She says, everything changed so rapidly, so strangely. I knew no one who'd ever been in the public eye. I didn't know anyone, anyone to whom I could turn and say, what do you do? So it was incredibly disorienting. And she How went, lonely she must have felt, She too. went back to therapy. therapy. Always go back to therapy, kids. <laughs> so she, she churns out Order of the Phoenix at 870 pages, as I mentioned before. Her longest Potter book yet. She actually does say, I think it could have been shorter. I knew that, and I ran out of time and energy toward the end. Do you? I understand. Do you feel like I... See, I feel like by this point, kind of like how I felt about A Feast for Crows, which is the uh, fifth? Fourth. Fourth Game of Thrones book. And this is the fifth Harry Potter. I felt like by this time, I'm like, dude, I don't care how, where you go. I'm just in this world. So just oh, yeah. like, so I didn't feel very judgy about either book. Like other people, you know, F- Feast for Crows. I didn't feel that way about Order of the Phoenix, that it was too long, necessarily. No. Do you think it was like long-winded? No way, not at all. But at the same time, I imagine it's very taxing to write such a brooding novel for such a long time and yeah. be in the headspace of a sixteen or a fifteen-year-old for that long. That I imagine you do feel the energy drained from you of just like, I don't know. I'm also fed up. Harry's fed up. Sirius is fed up. I'm fed up too. Do you, Do you know, think a like, lot of Harry's energy was also maybe her fatigue? Probably. Because when right? you're on the fifth book out of seven, you're like kind of getting close to the finish line but super not at all close to the finish line like you have years of work ahead of you and everything's changing during this time also she gets married to a scottish doctor she has a second child she has a boy uh so she again is writing a book while raising a child she is again you know hopefully this relationship's healthier i think she's still married to him I have to check. I haven't gotten to that part yet in the research. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's not slowing down. You nah, know, dude. she's not slowing down at all. And I guess we'll let's talk about Half Blood Prince before we close out today. But I think this will be around the time we're going to end it, and uh, we'll finish out with uh, the last book. And then, oh also, my god, we have so much more. We have to so talk much to talk about. <laughs> I want to talk about. Um, so next next week, I want to focus more on the characters, her inspiration for different characters. We haven't really unpacked. Uh, you know. What is Harry Potter without Hermione and Ron and, right. you know, Dumbledore and Snape? And, and also all, the different houses and where we fall and have yep. you taken the Pottermore quiz Yes, yet? we'll be talking about Pottermore. We'll talk about uh, we'll talk about her other books uh, in the Harry Potter universe. We'll talk about her philanthropy. We haven't fully unpacked the themes, all of these things. A little bit more into the nitty-gritty of the work itself. Today was more about uh, rolling. So... 
Half-Blood Prince. She's pregnant with her third child while writing it, but now she's able to take her time. She's enjoying herself way more. She called the process an enjoyable experience from start to finish. Uh, and I, I can see that in Half-Blood Prince. As yes. tragic as that book is, it feels like... It just really feels like Rowling's finally just fully locked into this process. Though she'd had the book planned for years, she spent a good two months examining the plot breakdown before writing it, having learned her lesson with <laughs> Goblet of Fire. So now she's really just making sure there's no holes going on in there. And and I, I can see that, because starting with Goblet of Fire, I mean, these books, if you're writing a 600-plus page book, I mean... There's going to be some plot holes unless you look, especially with the way she writes, which is all a, a lot. Of, it's a mystery wrapped. It, there's all these layers going on and reveals. I imagine she did have like the, the, the different like index cards with the red lines up on her walls. Like, OK, so I had said this in the first book because it's also maintaining everything that has been said in the first books, you know, and, and having those things come back around that she wanted to include the little things that she had dropped in in, in the beginning of the entire series, mm-hmm. and she it is just so well-connected. So well-connected. How connected. do you keep it all in your fucking brain? I don't know. I mean, you should see, too, she handwrites a lot of crazy notes and stuff all over the place, and she does not keep it super well-organized from the looks of it. It just seems like she is just always in this world, in her head. Um, and it's pretty amazing to see. But while all this is going on, it makes a lot of sense because while this is happening around her, uh, she's got this suffocating fame situation going on. I mean, as a novelist, too, like if you're like a pop singer, there's a certain level of it that you're already ready to, you know, you signed up for it. You've been admiring people who are running from cameras all your life. But if you're a children's book writer, I mean, they her agent even told her, don't quit your day job because children's novelists never make that much money. And all of a sudden, she's like one of the this most famous people in England. It's this huge fucking deal. And she says, fame is a very odd and very isolating experience. And I know some people crave it. A lot of people crave it. But I find that, that very hard to understand, really. It is incredibly isolating, and it puts a great strain on your relationships. And about Half-Blood Prince, she said, I like it better than Goblet phoenix or chamber when i finish them but book six does what i wanted it to do and even if nobody else likes it and some won't i know it will remain one of my favorites of the series ultimately you have to please yourself before you please anyone else so hell yeah girl um, i hear you half-blood prince though i'd say goblet's my favorite fully based on the i just love the premise of yeah. this wizard games. I just thought that was such a fun. I like um I was I was talking with Lexi for the bonus episode. Like I like like sports movies, I think a lot too. Yeah. You know, yeah. we were talking about Friday Night Lights. I like when there's a little bit of competition and Ooh, different yeah. kinds of events and I don't know, it just felt so I just loved meeting all the other schools and the big woman with Hagrid. Oh and, my god, um, I loved it. But yeah, like that was so awesome. Like that romance story. There were just all these things I loved about it. I felt like it had a perfect mix of what made the earlier books great and what makes the later books great, right? And it just yeah. kind of meets half in the halfway in the middle. Um so then she moves on to Deathly Hollows. Um and now she's uh just doing all this stuff she's doing all this philanthropy she's the most successful writer on the planet at this point she can uh and and at this point she and she's raising like two kids i believe she can only she can only write two and a half days a week as opposed to five rolling says there are times and i don't want to sound ungrateful when i would gladly give back some of the money in exchange for time and peace to write and uh, she says when she finished the series that she uh, said, uh, I cried as I've only ever cried once before in my life. And that was when my mother died. 
I know. It's so I know. Good. It was uncontrollable. So to see it all wrap right back around. It was yeah. like the whole starting writing the books, hugely inspired, hugely pushed forward by the def- death of her mother. And then to have it like come back around like that is so amazing. Ugh. So anyways. I mean, I know how I cried when it ended. I can't even imagine for her that no wonder that all all of these other books come out and you know, all the mo- other movies. Cause, because how does she just leave it? How it's do you not leave something you just close that book and it's over. Right. It's so cool. I, I think that's such a great way. And I think that's a perfect way to end our episode today. This full circle for her. And that's really rolling story. Um, today's coverage is more her and her relationship with the books. I want to talk some more about uh, some of her current stuff. We didn't even get into the tw- Twitter meme shit. Man. We'll definitely talk about that. We'll talk about Harry Potter today. Um, we'll get the movies is something we'll cover completely separate from all of this. But next week, I really just want to focus more on unpacking all of the, the just all the you know her inspiration for these characters, her inspiration for Hogwarts. We didn't even talk about the school in Edinburgh uh, that she based a lot of that uh, you know the, the Hogwarts off of. All, all that kind of stuff. I think we'll cover more more of the the. A lot of the bases for the events and the world and all that kind of stuff. And any others, I just feel like I haven't even, I feel like there's a lot more to say about the fan fiction. There's so much. I have so much more to say. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, uh, we'll we'll do it all next time. I'm so glad because I was worried. I was like, this can't be a one-parter. This can't. No no, way. There's got to be more. So I'm glad we're doing two. And Jackie, I believe you'll be joining us next week with Jake. Jake and I will be back together and we'll have Jackie as well. And we'll finish our uh, a tour de force of Harry Potter. Um, thank you so much, Jackie, for joining me. Thank you very much for having me and giving me an excuse, especially once we get into <laughs> next week's episode, to talk about Harry Potter freely and in a non-judgmental way. Thank you. <laughs> Um, what else do I have to say? I have to say plug yo shit girl page seven on the last podcast network. Check it out. It is a fun light romp through pop culture. Uh, even if you're someone like me who doesn't think they're necessarily like, Oh, super. I'm actually like secretly like into it, but, uh, (laughs) it's a fun as hell entertaining time with her and her co-host Molly, but I am also doing it all the time now. And that is a lot of fun. So you can catch me on it. You can catch Henry does it a bunch now. So check that out. Uh, anything, what the twits, the twitties, what what do you want to plug? Yeah. Check out our Japanese dating Sims. Holden and I do a, a Twitch stream every Friday at 6 PM. Eastern time. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Uh, so you're helping me plug my shit, but what's your uh, Instagram is Jack That Worm? Oh, yeah, my Instagram is Jack That Worm. Come follow me. Do it. Oh, and if you want to patronize us, check us out on patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew. Um, and until then, do you know the sign off, Jackie? It's okay if you don't, because I didn't know a lot of your page seven stuff. Is it toodaloo in my booty boo? You just, after I say my thing, you say never stop bruising, okay? Okay. All right, remember, everybody, keep on whizzing. And never stop bruising. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.